There we go. All right. And Paul said, I will rejoice no matter what. And like I said, he took it to ridiculous extremes. He went all the way to say, I will rejoice whether I live or die. Whether it's life or death, I'm going to rejoice in that. And the reason that Paul was able to rejoice in that is because he said, if I live, God has a purpose for that. If I die and I get to go home and be with Jesus, well, that's God's purpose. And, and Paul said, no, whether I live or die, I am going to rejoice in that because there's purpose. And if, if that is God's purpose and my purpose is to live, then I need to live on purpose. That God has a purpose for me and I need to pursue that purpose. And that purpose, like a, a cog in the wheel of a clock, should direct every other thing in my life. That and it goes on to say that essentially what I believe, or back to this statement that we've said uh, numerous times over the months, over the years, that what I believe directly impacts what I do. And that if I believe that Jesus has a purpose for my life, that I need to pursue him and his purpose for my life. And that was really the instructions from Paul, and he, he even went on further to say what God's purpose for you looked like. And I gave you guys some really practical, like, I mean, really, really easy examples of things that that might look like in your life if you're, as you're going through life. And it might look like helping somebody when they're having a hard time, just being there for them. Being that helping hand when you see somebody hurt and reaching out to them, letting them know you care. All right? It might mean listening. Uh, we're really good at talking. We're really good at giving advice because we've got it all figured out. Uh, I was just talking with a group of guys about this the other day. I, actually, in prison, I, you know, I got to go to prison uh, 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 Tuesday morning and, and spent some time. They bailed me out, all the kids. Bella's smiling because she, we've heard the joke so many times in the I Am Music group that it's, it's, we beat it up to death. But one of the things that they were talking about is listening. Not trying to tell somebody all their stuff of how to fix it, but actually just listening. For young men, eventually you get married to, to young ladies. Like, that's the gift you could give them. I screw that up all the time, and it causes all kinds. Of, when I can remember to listen and not just try to fix stuff, I do a lot better in life. And, and you will, too, I promise. Listening is a gift. All right? Uh, it might be being friendly at school and, and actually like inviting people to the table. You know, somebody that somebody else might pick on and saying, hey, come have a seat here and, and let's, why don't you come? You belong here. All right? And being friendly and warm and welcoming, uh, inviting. It might mean taming your tongue, right? We talked about that. And not gossiping, not using my words to tear other people down. Uh, we're really good at that. But instead, using our actual words to encourage one another, to build them up, to point them to Christ and, and His purpose uh, in His life, and, and to invite them, to be welcoming. Hey, uh, invite somebody to 212. Invite somebody to church. Invite somebody uh, who may not have a lot of friends to come hang out. Like, Jesus is really what we're saying here. The, the point of what Paul was getting is that, man, we should be like Jesus. Because Jesus did all of those things. He went to the people that everybody else in society despised and said, you come here, I'm going to, let's have dinner. Let's talk. Let me give you hope. They're tearing you down, let me, let me tell you about a better way. 
Jesus was always reaching out. He was always loving. And Paul's saying, look, I want you to, to live. Your, your purpose is that we should live our lives in a way that points, that's like Jesus. That that's his call. We talked a lot about that last week. And, and as we step in this week, Paul, Paul continues. We step into chapter 2. I wish Eli was here. He, he'd be scared to hear chapter 2 because chapter 4 is coming. And Eli is going to be preaching the first part of chapter 4 for me. And uh, Paul begins and he says, complete my joy. And we pick it up in, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So Paul says, uh, so if there is... It's like a therefore. He's saying because all of this stuff I already said, and it's almost like he goes through a checklist of everything he said in chapter 1. He says, yeah, if there's encouragement, we can do it together. you know." And, and remember, they had encouraged Paul. They had sent him hope, and he was sending them encouragement. Hey, I'm doing okay here. Is there any encouragement in Christ? Yeah, Paul says, because there's encouragement in Christ, complete my joy. Uh, is there any comfort? Well, yeah, Paul was comforting them with his words of encouragement, but they were also comforting Paul. And, and Paul expressed his gratitude, his thankfulness for these Philippian church. And is there unity Is there is, is, that we could come together and be of one mind working together? He's just celebrating all these things. His, his comfort, even while he's in jail, all right, as he's in prison, they're comforting him and he's comforting. It's this beautiful picture. Is there, if, if these things exist, he says, then you complete my joy. Here's, the, here, here's how you complete my joy. You put that last piece. I want you to be unified in Christ. I want you to be unified of one mind, of one spirit, one love. Isn't that cool? Before one love was like a, a cool thing to say, Scripture, G, Paul was writing saying we need to have one mind and one love. What mind though? What, is, what, what does that mind look like? And Paul goes on, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves let each of you look not only to his own interest but also to the interest of others so once again paul points us to the cross and he begins to say i want you to be like jesus and and this is what it looks like i want you to be less selfish and more selfless. To put other people... Now, and I like that he says, he doesn't say, don't take care of yourself. That's not what he says. What Paul says is, let each of you look not only to his own interest, alright? Yeah, take care of yourself, but also to the interest of others. That we should look... To, we should look for those opportunities. And in a world that says the key to life is to keep believing in yourself, 
Paul says the key to life is to keep believing in Jesus, to keep following Him, to follow His example. To be yourself, sure, that's the world likes to talk about being yourself, but to be who God made you to be, who He made you to be. That's the key. That's the key. And to do that, yes, again, not to be so caught up in ambition. I want to win the race, but hey, be aware. Look around you. It's not that achieving and, and having goals in our society, the way our culture is wired, man, we're, we're all, go get yours. I'm going to get my toys now. And that's, that's the vibe that the world is throwing out. And they may throw out some love, some false you know, ideas of what love, but really that's the drive. And you guys all know it. We all take our ACTs. We all want to score the winning goal on the team. We're all there. That's because that's, and he said, look, yeah, it's take care of yourself, but man, look after others. Oh, is he hurting? Let me help him up, you know? Don't just look after my own interest, look after others. Really what he's saying is I want you to put on the mind of Christ. And that's not just like, you know, oh, Sean come up with a clever title for his sermon series. No, no, I just stole that from scripture and, and I'll prove it right now. Uh, Philippians 2, 5 through 7, he says, You have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And Paul says, look, I want you to look at the humility of Christ Jesus. I want you to look at Jesus to begin to understand what he done so you can understand what you're called to. And we kind of make, we tend to make some mistakes when we look at Jesus. And as we step into Christmas and we look at him born in a manger that God... <coughs> would descend and be born as a man. We, you know, he, he, he put aside, he emptied, he put aside some of his rights as God, Jesus did, to come down and be descended in this baby. And we, we don't really wrap our mind around what that means. I mean, yes, Jesus laid aside his rights and he, he became fully dependent on the Father's will for his life and fully dependent on the Spirit of, to empower him. And you, you see this beautiful thing. But understand, he laid aside some rights to become like us. And we mess that up because, okay, when we're little kids in a, in a perfect world, what do we say? When I grow up, I want to be a man or I want to be a woman. And that's, that's what we... We aspire to this thing. What we don't understand is how far Jesus reached down to be born as a human being. We don't get that because we aspire to a certain... You don't understand. Jesus, He could have come as some giant angelic being. He could have come with something we can't even begin to imagine. But that's not how he came. He came to this earth to put on flesh and blood like us. 
He came a long way down. And when he came, he didn't just come down and be a man. Like You would think that if you were writing this story, how he would come down as he's the God and he's the creator and he's the ruler of the universe. Literally, every single person in here, you were created by Jesus Christ. And he came down and he didn't, he didn't come down like you'd think as, a, as what they expected. The Israelites expected him to be a ruler, a king. Somebody with power, somebody to stand up with big muscles and six-pack abs and a great big sword, kick butt, take names, and take control. That's not how Jesus came down. Jesus came down as a helpless baby lying in a dirty manger where animals feed because they didn't have no room for him. Sleeping on the streets. That's what he was born into. The creator, the sustainer, the king of the universe. He came far down. You'd expect him to come down and be born into the, the royal family, right? Have a castle with a view. That's not how Jesus came down. Jesus came down and he's born in this ragtag town in Nazareth. Now you've got to understand this. We lose track of this. Galilee, which is where Nazareth is at, was looked down upon. All right, It was the wrong side of the tracks in Israel. And Nazareth was like the lowest of the low. I mean, when Philip is, is approached by his buddy and says, I want you to come see Jesus, this guy from Nazareth, this is Philip's response. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? From that town? Seriously? Yeah, that's, the, that's, the, that's the town where Jesus would hail from. Acts 24.5, uh, the, the, the councils, the Jews would be putting Paul on trial and making their appeal as they're kind of working through the Romans. And, and this is what they would say. We found this man, that's Paul, who wrote this book of Romans, a plague and one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Now when we read that, we probably don't think much of it, but what I need you to understand, that was like a racial slur. Oh, he's one of them Nazarenes. It was a jab to say that the ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Nazareth was despised. It was literally the wrong side of the tracks. Jesus wasn't in the castle. He went to the wrong side of the tracks. That's where he come into the scene. You would expect the king, the ruler, the sovereign God of the universe, right? I mean, you got the Queen of England before she passed away, God rest her soul, and she's got her butler there. You know, there's a royal butler, and he's got his own, like, fandom and all kinds of Instagram page and all this stuff, but his job is to serve the royal family. Just people. They're just people. All the royals, whatever they are, they're, they're people. So you, wouldn't you expect that God would have some? No, but that's not what he did. He came down, and he served people. He washes the disciples' feet. He puts others' needs ahead of his own. He's the one doing the serving. It's totally the opposite of what we see in the world. Jesus came way, way down. Way down. How low? How low did Jesus come down? I mean, he, we, I haven't even begun to, to explain the gap between coming from who he is to who we are. It's a big gap, way bigger than we appreciate. But he went even further than that. Philippians 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Right back to that cross. And man, again, heck, there's people in this room right now, somebody, I, there's at least one of you that have a cross around your neck or a cross on your earring. We look at the cross, we got a cross right here. We look back at the cross and we celebrate because of what Jesus did for us. And that's why we, we do that or some people just do it just because they think it's cool. But that's not the cross. I want you to understand how big a deal this cross is. It was actually against the law for Roman citizens to be crucified. It was against the law. That's why Paul was almost fed to the lions and beheaded. Because it was against the law to crucify him like the rest of the Christians. You know, Peter would be crucified. He, he insisted to be upside down because he didn't feel like he was worthy to be crucified like Jesus. It was against the law to crucify Romans. They would not do that. That was a dirty way to die. It was despised and lowly. Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 22 through 23. And what's crazy is there were not a lot of crucifixions back when this verse was given. All right, when Moses is speaking to the people and giving the law, that was not commonplace. This came later, which is fascinating, and it's even more fascinating because guess what? The God who gave Moses this first knew exactly where we were going with Jesus. He, his plan was set. It wasn't a big surprise. But listen to what he says. And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, and this isn't like hung on a tree like a noose. That's not the picture. The picture is hung on a cross, nailed to a tree, nailed to a post. There's a million ways they did it. John had a, a great sermon a couple years ago where he talked about all the different ways they crucified people. But that's what they're talking about. His body shall not remain all night on the tree. In other words, the worst thing to death was to be hung on a cross and left there. There was a shame attached to the, the dead body being exposed like that. But then you shall bury him the same day. For a hangman's cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance. That is God's holy law instructions to the Israelites as they get ready to enter the promised land. You shall not allow this thing. And yet, his son, Jesus, will be nailed to that tree and exposed. Matter of fact, Galatians 3, 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, that is death for our sin, by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. What he wrote in Deuteronomy, God wasn't surprised in Matthew 27. He wasn't surprised in Luke 23. It was the plan. He's trying to tell us something. He's trying to show us how far he's willing to go to show his love. And man, he went low. I love Archibald T. Robertson. You're not going to hear that name and be like, oh yeah, Archibald. No, but this is what he writes. As he's talking through crucifixion, the bottom rung in the ladder from the throne of God. That's how he describes crucifixion. Jesus came all the way down to the most despised death of all. A condemned criminal on the accursed cross. That is how far 
Jesus came for each of you. Charles Spurgeon writes, The lower he stoops to save us, the higher we ought to lift him in our adoring reverence. Blessed be his name. He stoops and stoops and stoops. And when he reaches our level and becomes man, he still stoops and stoops and stoops lower and deeper yet. He loves us and he went to the, the greatest reaches to demonstrate his love for you and I. Jesus is the ultimate example of humility. I want you to think about it. You know, it's funny, I've heard people say different things. Oh, Jesus could have called down a legion of angels, right? As he's hanging on that cross and they're mocking him and they're spitting on him and they're putting this crown of thorns. I had to fight the urge to show you Passion of the Christ, even though that's, it was worse than that. Like, but if you've seen the, the artistic interpretation, and, I mean, it's, it's hard. It's hard to watch. John, it's hard to watch, isn't it? And it was worse than that. The guy that, he created them all. He created the guy that nailed him. He created the tree that grew, that made the cross. To say he could have called legion to angels, you understand. You read the book. At the very end of the book, there's this final confrontation. It's not really a confrontation. It's not a war like we think of war. We think of war, we think of uncertainty. There's, got to be a, there's no uncertainty. At the end, Jesus, it says, uh, Jesus defeats the beast and all the, the, the throng with a double-edged sword out of his mouth. And that double-edged sword is the metaphor with his words. It's finished. It's done. The same words that spoke creation into existence. He just had to speak it. Thank it. He didn't need to call out a legion of angels. He had all the power in the world to do anything. And what did he do? What did he do? He paid the price. Perfect power in perfect control, in perfect love for each and every one of his children who would just believe on his name for salvation. And he paid that price, that terrible price, for us. It's incredible. He loves us. When I say Jesus loves you, this I know, yeah. I want you to see how much he loves you, how much he was willing to do to prove to you that he loves you. He's not just the ultimate example of humility, though. Jesus is the ultimate example of exaltation after humility. I want you to listen to what Philippians 2, 9 through 10 says. Therefore, because of what his son did, perfect submission to the Father, empowered by the Spirit, the, 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 the triune nature of God, working together to fulfill his purpose for his people. Because of that, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He has been lifted up by the Father, His Father. 
and the name that's been bestowed upon him, there's only one name that is greater than all names. And that is God's name. Yahweh. Yahweh, as we read it in English, right? I am. We see the, uh, Moses interacting. He says, you tell him, I am sent you. Jesus says, oh yeah, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine and the branches. Jesus is the I am, and that name, and it's more than just the title. I love what David Guzik writes. He says, this goes beyond giving Jesus the divine name of Yahweh. When we consider the Hebrew concept of the name, it implies that God declares that Jesus has a character and person above all. Jesus is God with us. And he's always been that way. It's amazing. He's got the name above all names. God the Father has lifted him up. And yes, every... Did you, did you catch it? I, I just I want to read it again. His name that is above every name... So that the name of, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. I want you, every single thing in heaven, things that we, everything that, 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 and everyone in heaven that you and I can't see. They are going to bend the knee and confess Jesus Christ is the Lord on that day that he returns. Everything on earth, that is everything alive that we can see on that day at that time, whenever that time may be, will bow their knee and confess. I don't care. The biggest atheist in the world, the person that says they hate God. Look, at this time, we live in history. I found this on the web. Thank you. <laughs> at this time in history, you and I, we have the gift to make the choice to confess Jesus Christ as the Lord. To, respond, to hear his call and respond and confess, Jesus Christ, you are my Lord, my Savior. I believe who you say you are, and my trust is in you. We have that. That choice does not exist forever. There will come a time when history ends and eternity begins, and there's this moment right between. And if you've made that confession, my goodness, yes, you're going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But if you have rejected Christ, I don't care. Somebody could say, no, no, no. Never. I've had guys. I will never bow to a God that blah, 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 whatever they're going to say next. They have no idea what they're talking about. Yes, they will. Every knee. Every person alive at that time. And not just every person alive at that time. Matter of fact, everything under the earth, do you understand? Satan and all his demons, every person that has already died rejecting God, everything will confess, yep, Jesus is Lord. Now they may confess it on their way to hell, but everything will confess Jesus Christ 
is the Lord. Everything. You and I live at a period of time where we get to respond to God's call. That's a beautiful gift. But trust me, there's people in this room that won't. Even if you think you won't now, that's all right, sit there. You will one day. It'll be too late to matter, but you will confess him as Lord. All things exist to glorify God. All people exist to glorify God. Adolf Hitler and Vladimir Putin are going to confess Jesus Christ as Lord on their way to, to, to inheriting God's wrath. We're going to talk about that in Romans 9. And God will be glorified. Understand, on the day of Christ's return, all things, all people, for all times, will declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. So what's the point? What is the point? Why does this, all of this, matter to me tonight? First, Christians are called to live lives that are meant to be reflections of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look, we don't reflect Him perfectly. We're dirty mirrors at best. But that's what we're called to do is reflect Jesus. Philippians 1.27, right? Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Our lives are meant to point people to Jesus. Jesus says this, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 and 16. You are the light of the world. His children, Christians. A city set on a hill can't be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father is in heaven. That my life is meant to point other people to God. That's why I exist. That's why you exist. Christian, that's why you exist. The more I understand Christ's love for me, the more I'm able to be that light. You know, I got awesome students reaching out, asking great questions. And I keep going back to, we got to learn about Jesus. We got to learn about Jesus. We got to learn about Jesus. As far as that goes, I, you know, we've gone through these topical series. We've, we've, we've looked at faces in the crowd and we've gone through. And it just occur, keeps occurring to me, man, man, I keep talking about Jesus. And yeah, we did the Sermon on the Mount. We did some lessons about Jesus. I think the next lesson, we are going to just, we're going to grab a book. I know I haven't decided if it's going to be Luke or John. I don't know if we'll ever get through it, ever. But you need to know Jesus. And we're just going to, we're just going to spend, a, uh, until we're done with that book, we're just going to spend some time so that no matter what, when you guys come out of here, if somebody says, well, tell me about Jesus, you got an answer for that. You may not agree with it, but you're going to know what the Bible says about Jesus. It's great that I talk through these other books. They're all super important, but I want to make 100% sure that you know who Jesus is. It's just a burden on my heart because the more I understand, the more I'm able to reflect him into the world, the more I'm able to be that light. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18 through 19. Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus, and he says, that I, I pray that you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints 
what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. If I'm filled with all the fullness of God, then I can reflect the fullness of God. That's his prayer for us. That's his prayer for himself. That's my prayer for you, that we would, we would begin to know that. And that's why, I, I, man, I'm, I'm just, we're, we're going we're gonna to go through a gospel together. I can't wait. There is simply no greater demonstration of love and humility than that of the Lord Jesus Christ. The world has a lot of things to say about what love looks like. Tons of things. I flip on TV, I can pop up TikTok, I can look at Snapchat, I can, I can go anywhere. YouTube, like crazy. I mean, everybody's got something to say about love. Jesus is love. You want to see love, you need to look at Jesus. There is no greater example. Romans 5, 6-8 For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Folks, that's us. Just in case nobody told you, you're ungodly. You're a sinner. I am too. We are not perfect. Not even one of us in this room is even close. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We have all had impure thoughts. We have all done impure things. We have all made wrong decisions. And yep, we've sinned against each other, and we've certainly sinned against our parents, and we've thought the wrong thing about teachers. We have, that's true, that's true. We've hurt people around us, all that stuff. But we have sinned against the Lord our God, the Creator, Sustainer, the Savior of the earth. We have sinned against Him. And while we were enemies of God, He died. He sent Christ to die for us. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, he didn't say, all right, you guys figure it out and I'll forgive what you did. You get perfect and you figure it out and then I'll forgive your stuff and we'll be cool. That's not what he did. While we were still sinners, while we were still messed up, he sent his son to die and pay the price for our sins. He didn't say, you get it straight and I'll forgive you. He said, come to my son, he'll pay the price and I'll forgive you and I'm going to help you get better. It's an amazing gift, God's love for you and I. On the last day, whether that's five minutes from now, five years from now, five million years from now, whenever that day is, plenty of us think that's a sooner time than later, I'll tell you. But whenever it is, on that day, everything and everyone will declare Jesus Christ is Lord. At this time, he has elicited a call to the world to salvation. For those that respond to that call, eternal life is yours in Christ Jesus. 
Romans says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you respond to that call, if you believe in your heart, I mean really believe, you can't fake him out. It ain't like you can put on a mask and be like, ha, 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 I got you, God. No, no, no. But if that's true, you will be saved. And man, it's a so it's not a one-time deal, boy. You've got a whole life ahead of you, and it's an amazing experience. Have Christ alive in your heart, changing you and growing you and making you something new, something you can never be on your own. But understand this. You ever see like a, one of those hourglasses? And the sand drizzles down, and it drizzles down. Like if you're playing a game, like, what is it, Pictionary or something like that, you're trying to scramble and hurry up before the clock runs out. Boy, oh boy, if we could see the hourglass. Time is short. Call me a crazy person all you want. Uh, Mark my word, time is short. From his perspective especially, but even from ours today, time is short. And we either make these decisions, we respond to his call today, But when that last piece of sand drops, it's too late. Now you're still going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, but the time is over. Everything will confess. Like I said, even old Adolf Hitler is going to confess Jesus Christ is Lord. You know, we pick on uh, Dawson, Richard Dawkins, or or whatever. We pick on uh, these different atheist, uh, agnostic, you know, whatever. Don't matter. They're all going to confess. They're all going to look up. They're going to see him. Eyes on fire. That's what Revelation says. It looks like burning fires. You know, Jesus came really humble the first time. When he comes back, he's not quite so humble. He's going to be robed. He's going to look like the king that he is. And it's going to be too late at that point. So, and, and whatever. We're not guaranteed another breath. If Adam taught us anything last year, Praise God he made that decision. But we're not guaranteed another moment. That decision, we need to settle that today. But if you don't, whatever, walk out of here. That dumb guy, he's saying all this stuff. He don't know nothing. I I, I don't. But I do know this. (laughs) I'm right about this. Mark my words, I'm not going to, you know, have mud in my eye on that day. I'm right about this one. Jesus is Lord. And that's it. That's tonight's message, tonight. I'm going to pray. We're going to have small groups. I want you guys to talk. Like, really talk. What does that mean? What does it mean to live a life that points others to Jesus? What does that look like? You know, it's funny, all that stuff I talked about last week, I didn't ask you guys to come up here and tell a sermon. Uh, I love Joe Drysdale. He walks up to people and says, Hey, Bella, what's the gospel? People freak out. They don't even know what to say. (laughs) I mean, it terrifies them. I'm not asking you to have the perfect theological answer. You can love people. 
You can help people. You can be inviting. You can point people to Jesus Christ. You can tell them the truth. In love. And yeah, you know, go back a couple weeks. Knowledge and discernment and understanding, you know, yeah, we're going to grow. We're going to have an answer for that question. What is the gospel? I want you guys, you know, when you leave and Joe asks you that question, I hope you have an answer. If you don't, come talk to me. Let's work on that together. It's not, a, it's not all that complicated. You can point people to Jesus Christ. But what does, how? You got to know the guy. You got to know the Lord, your God, the creator, the sustainer, your savior. You need to see him. And my hope and prayer tonight is that you do. Heavenly Father, you went through, to say you went through extraordinary links is the greatest understatement possible. You, there's just no words. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done for us. What's crazy is you made the offer to everybody. Knowing, that, knowing full well the people that would reject you, you still made the offer to them. I love, you know, we talked about Judas last week. You made the offer to him. You invited him in. He ate at your table. And you knew the whole time what he was going to do, but you never treated him any different. Never. How loving can you be? Goodness. And how, how should that inspire me to live my life? Father, help me. Help me to see you. And help me to find, to find the sweet spot in this mirror that is my life, Lord. That I can reflect your light and love into the world around me. That I can help people see you. Because, Father, when I understand what you have done for me, my goodness, I want everybody to know about you. I want everybody to see. I want everybody to experience the peace and the joy. To know the love that you have given us, Lord. Thank you so much. And Father, for these students, I pray that they know that as, as filthy and cracked and, and dirty as a, a mirror as I am, can I reflect something, Lord? Help them to see you somehow, some way. Thank you, Father God. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen.